Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back. This is Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, bringing you another episode of Monday Madness on April 25th, 2023. Another surprise snow for Colorado over the weekend, but the good news is that it lasted about as long as a mild hangover, and it was gone by noon once the sun was high in the sky. Already about finished with April, meaning we're almost one-third of the way through this year with nothing but $80 oil prices, and sometimes less. Still, I'm getting ahead of myself. If you are new to the Monday Madness segment, we will take a bit of time to explore some statistics revolving around commodity price, the rig count, and domestic inventories. Then, we will explore some of the most interesting stories that have popped up in recent headlines. Normally, it is released on Monday, but I was out sick yesterday, so here we are. Welcome to the show, and let's get to it. I already alluded to it, but commodity prices just kind of suck. Last week, we saw an $81 barrel for a few hours before it settled to $77 by the end of the week. We opened up on a Monday, only as high as $77 before we collapsed down to almost $76. It seems as if whatever efforts China and Saudi Arabia are taking to work against American energy are working. Oh, and we can't forget Russia's hand in it as well. Everything has been going up in price. I mean, some eggs are hitting $6 a dozen. Housing and rent prices have skyrocketed. Even gasoline is only slightly cheaper when compared to a year ago, otherwise pretty damn high. You consider all of this, but the energy commodities like crude and natural gas that feed into all of this, especially the gasoline, are only getting cheaper. Again, there's something else at play here that I haven't quite pinned yet, but I can tell you it is not market fundamentals. As I alluded a second ago, natural gas is in the toilet as it hovers between 220 and 230. We've seen as high as 250 for natural gas this year, though I hesitate to use the adjective high, especially considering what we saw through 2022. Brent is closely tracking WTI, and the spread continues to hover between 350 and $4. Nothing exceptionally crazy going on here, so stay patient for some more news in this arena next week. Next up is the rig count. This is admittedly a much quieter week than weeks of recent history. The Permian added two rigs, the Mississippian lost one, and the Canna Woodford also lost one. State by state, we have a little bit more noise. Texas and Utah are the heavy hitters with two new rigs each. Colorado, New Mexico, and Oklahoma each added one. Cue up a tiny fiddle for both Kansas and Wyoming as they each lost a rig. No change in the offshore environment seems there is a slight emphasis on horizontal wells with a pretty even split between oil and gas targets. Not an exciting week for any of our statistics, I know, but we only have one more to get through. Here's Nick Fernhout's weekly Thirsty Thursday report. We may not have a writing for much longer with an internship coming up, so he may be gone for the summer. Get it while you can. If you missed last week's edition, here are the bare bones. Perhaps it is everywhere besides Colorado that is getting good weather because the draw in crude inventories is indicative of high demand driven by people getting outside, driving cars, and contributing to the economy. This week, there was a 4.6 million barrel draw against the EIA's forecast of just about 1 million barrels. The API predicted a 2.5 million barrel drawdown and ended up reporting a 2.675 million barrel drawdown. It's odd that their numbers differed from the EIA so much this week, but as mentioned in a previous report, the EIA is typically trusted a little bit more than the API. Inventories of crude oil have been in decline for over a month now. Looking ahead and trying to predict whether we will see more draws or builds is difficult. 
On one hand, you have increased summer travel, spurring demand, and inventory draws. On the other, some of the world's largest economies are leaving room for uncertainty when it comes to future demand. China, in particular, is where many people have their attention focused. On the fuels market side of things, prices and stocks are up. As refiners come back online, they can pump out more gasoline. The increase in gasoline stocks drives the price down. Wait, but why is gas more expensive and getting increasingly more so? Honestly, I'm not too sure. It felt like it has something to do with some lag between inventories and prices as well as a temporary jump in oil prices. I'd expect gas prices to cool off in the coming weeks. The price of a gallon of gas has increased by 7 to 10 cents per week for nearly a month, and this week's increase of 10 cents is no different. For reference, a year ago today, the cost of gasoline was $4.07, so while it may seem expensive now, we aren't nearing those extremes we felt last year. In the world of diesel and distillates, inventories are waning. A month or so after climbing back into the five-year range, inventories are on their way to exceeding the lowest level seen during that range. Although counterintuitive, diesel cheapened this week by an insignificant nine-tenths of a penny, and that concludes the report. Thanks again to Nick Fernhout for putting all of these statistics together. Our first story is more of a snippet, but it is absolutely packed to the brim of Between the Lines content. Last Friday, President Putin discussed the OPEC Plus production agreements with Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman in a telephone call. According to a readout from Putin, they both expressed satisfaction with the level of cooperation between their countries to bring what they called stability to global oil markets. In a quote from Putin himself, quote, The conversation proceeded in a friendly manner, was constructive and informative. With this in mind, it was agreed to build up contacts in specific areas of cooperation. End quote. So, what does this mean? Well, consider that Saudi Arabia is essentially the crown jewel for OPEC. OPEC is responsible for roughly 30% of daily global production. Russia is responsible for about 10. China accounts for another 5. If they can all become friends and coordinate their work, roughly 50% or quite possibly even more of global oil production and trade could be drastically affected at the drop of a hat. If they, say, all agree to stop purchasing American oil, the price of a barrel of WTI could be dramatically decreased due to plummeting demand. If they took it further and decided to stop trading for oil using the petrodollar system, only worse things would happen to the American economy. This could turn into something much larger and much more serious, so please keep those eyes peeled in the coming weeks. Rare Petro believes that this is one of the largest stories and sort of ideas you should keep your mind on. The petrodollar is being challenged. It's a system that's existed for decades and it may not exist that much longer. Next up, more strikes. We've talked about strikes in France and the UK, but it has since expanded past Europe to the Middle East. The latest labor strike has finally affected the energy sector in Iran. While the energy industry is just one of the participating members, they are specifically calling for a 79% wage increase for contract workers in both industrial and non-industrial facilities. This was a counteroffer to the government who came through with a deal that would reward them with almost three times as less. People are primarily angry because a small wage increase does not do well to offset the 40% inflation the country has experienced in the past two years. Again, inflation is steadily growing all over the world and outpacing wages, yet energy somehow continues to get even cheaper. I can't explain why. 
This is only the latest headache for the Iranian government, as there are still many folks protesting the death of Masa Amini due to her failure to properly wear her headscarf. Political unrest may be the theme for 2023, but you'd best believe the Iranian people showed up to the party early. Real quick before we close out, I've got a little statistic that should paint a pretty good picture of the current economic landscape. In the first quarter, Credit Suisse, a massive investment bank, reported their clients had withdrawn $69 billion worth of assets in the first quarter. This correlated to a 9% loss of assets in the wealth management unit. The entire bank ended up losing even more considering its first quarter performance. A major reason for the massive outflux of money stems from the UBS and government-backed bailout takeover of the bank last month which carried significant integration risks. Turns out, when the government decides to forcibly intervene, it scares off a lot of money. I would keep an eye out for any news for Q2 later in the year, but I almost want to say I expect H2 of 2023 to get especially hairy, for everyone included. But ladies and gentlemen, that is all I have. No fear-mongering, really. We just try to bring your attention to what we believe could be pretty important in the world of news, whether that's energy or just even economies and markets. Again, I apologize for the late episode. Your boy ate something a little wonky and the old gut did not want to comply, but I figured it is better to get this news to you late rather than never. I can't recall the last time I didn't let an episode release on a Monday, so we gotta keep that up. Be sure to frack that follow button because we have a brand new episode of The Basin Breakdown coming out tomorrow, the 26th, and as usual, Scott and I have some fun recounting big news in the American oil patch. Otherwise, this has been Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, and until we see you next time, take care everybody.